Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Now just imagine it. You've done it. You've achieved all of your goals. You've accomplished your wildest dreams. And the richest, most famous people from around the world come to learn from you. Literally billions of people have read or will read your books. You've amassed a fortune that emperors and entire nations would envy. Your legacy will be remembered as long as humans walk the earth. And now you've, you've grown old. And you begin to look back on your life and, and you wonder, why did I spend so much time at work? Why did I give so much of my life to amassing wealth, to pursuing pleasure? Now death is on your doorstep. You can't take any of it with you. And you start to ask yourself, what was it all for? These are almost certainly the kinds of thoughts that Solomon, king of Israel, would have had. And in his old age, after a life of awards and accolades, he picked up his pen and wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He begins that book saying, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. A little later on, as he thinks about death, he says this. He writes, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over the animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from the dust, and to dust all return. And when he wrote those words, he was likely reflecting on the book of Genesis, chapter 2, that talks about how God formed the first man, Adam, out of the dust of the earth. Solomon was right. We are made from the dust. As far as the biblical story is concerned, you and I are composed of dust. But, but that isn't the whole story. The biblical story tells us that we aren't just dust. No, our passage today, in fact, tells us that, that even though we're made from the dust, we have a share in eternal glory. 
The biblical story of creation teaches us that we were made from the dust for glory. From the dust for glory. I'm going to be teaching a series on this biblical idea that we are made in God's image. And we're starting here at the very beginning in our creation from dust for glory. Now, b- believe it or not, holding these two ideas together, that humans are made from the dust for glory, is an essential component of having any kind of spiritual connection to God at all. It's essential to have both those ideas together to be connected to God. Because you see, if you and I are just dust, then what possible relationship with God could we have? We're we're nothing more than animals, like Solomon says, just living out a, a meaningless existence, just waiting to become worm food. But on the other hand, if we think of ourselves as nothing but glorious, then, then we, we fail to account for the real hardship, trials, the real faults and failures that all of us have, that all of us experience. If we think of ourselves only as glorious, we'll be self-deceived, unable to perceive the God who is there. In truth, neither perspective on their own takes full account of our experience as human beings. But people at different times and places tend to favor one, sometimes completely forgetting the other. I mean, think about it. It's, it's easy. It's easy for an abused African child in a remote village to tell themselves that they are nothing but dust, that they're dirt, worthless, rubbish. I've had the opportunity to meet many such children, especially in Mashenica, Malawi, where our church partners with Hands at Work and the care workers that, that care for the vulnerable children in that community. There you can meet seven-year-old girls with dead eyes, hopeless, futureless, believing they're rubbish because that's what all of the neighbors have told them they are. And when you tell a child like that, when you tell that child the biblical story, that they have a Father in heaven, a God who who knows them, who made them, who loves them, who sacrificed everything for their sake. When you tell that child that story, then it hits them, it lands on them as, as what it is, as the good news that the gospel really truly is. When you've suffered When you have little hope in this world, the idea that we're nothing more than dust is only too believable. Maybe you, in your life, maybe you right now, maybe you feel that way, that you're worthless, that you're rubbish, that you're just a failure, hopeless. 
If that's you, I pray that you would hear the biblical story like that little child, that you would hear the good news that it is. I pray that you would hear that, that there is a God in heaven who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who sacrificed everything by giving up his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place so that he could bring you home. He, he could make you a part of his family and adopt a child with God forever. I pray that you would know that, that you would hear that, believe it, and find real and lasting joy. But from what I can tell, living where we do in the time and place that we're in, if you've been shaped by American culture to any degree, then I think it's highly likely that you think of yourself less as dust and more as destined for glory. According to the critic R.W.B. Lewis, the American aspires to be an individual emancipated from history, happily bereft of ancestry, untouched and undefiled by the usual inheritances of family and race. An individual standing alone, self-reliant, self-propelling, ready to confront whatever awaited him with the aid of his own unique and inherent resources. Let me ask you, have you ever said, or have you ever heard someone say, I don't see color. I see everybody the same. I don't, I don't see color. Well, the reason that people say that, the reason maybe you've said that, is what this author writes. That we think of ourselves as Americans as untouched and undefiled by the usual inheritances of family and race. A crucial part of what it means to be American is to see yourself emancipated from the past. To think that anything outside of yourself and your own desires would infringe on your individual freedom, including seeing color or not. Now, this mentality carries within it an anti-biblical theology. To believe these things about yourself is to deny that you were created at all. That all of these unchosen things that you've inherited, your, your history, your background, your family, your ethnicity, your birth, that all these things are essential building blocks to make up who you are. These are all God-given things. Well, the American ideal is, a, is as a self-made individual. But listen, to believe that you are self-made is to deny that you were created. To believe that you are self-made is to deny that you are created. And that's the kind of glory that no human being can claim. Only God, God alone, is the uncreated one. This idea permeates not just popular culture, it's, it's inherent to the very highest leadership in our land. 
1992, in a Supreme Court decision, Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote this. He said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. He says it's our right to make our own meaning. It's our right to define the entire universe. Now, there are a couple of ways that we could respond to that. I, as a pastor, preacher, could say, you're not dust. You're glorious. Hooray. But then, like Solomon, when you get to the end of your life, you're going to look back. You're going to realize that that was a lie. You're going to realize at the end of your life that you are dust, and to dust you will return. And you'll conclude, like he did, that life in this world is meaningless. Or, rather than saying that, I I could react against the predominant message in our culture. I could say, no, you are not glorious. You're dust. You're a worm. You're a nothing, a groveling, dirty sinner. That's one reason why it's so important for us to be biblical. The Christian scriptures are are nuanced, balanced. They're true to our experience. You may be dust, the scriptures say, but God breathed his own life into your being. God formed you with his own hands and made you in his glorious image. You can say that, but we also have to say with the scriptures, you may be in God's image, but remember that you are dust and that one day you will return to it. The scriptures are balanced, but that's not the most important reason for us to be biblical. We shouldn't be biblical because of what we get out of the scriptures. We should be biblical because of the reality the scriptures pull us into. Our passage today, Genesis 1, 26, and 27, tells us over and over again that we are created in the image of God. All of us, male and female, all of us made in God's image. But I want you to notice something. We are made in God's image. But at no point in all of the scriptures does the Bible say that you and I are God's image. We're made in God's image, but we are not God's image. We are not the archetype, the first model, the the very design of humanity itself. No, we're made from that design. Even Adam was made from that design after the archetype. We are in God's image in all of our dusty glory. But who is the image of God? There's this moment in the biblical story as Jesus is is saying goodbye to his disciples. He's getting ready to be crucified. and, And one of his disciples, Philip, said to Jesus in John 14, 8, Lord, 
Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He says, Lord, we followed you a long time, and we know you know the way to God, Jesus. We're all in. We're, we're buying everything you're selling. Just show us the Father. Show us the Father, and we'll be happy. We'll be satisfied. Jesus' response to Philip makes no sense on the face of it. But if you scratch the surface with what we've been saying thus far, it begins to open up hidden depths that, that go beyond our wildest dreams. Jesus responded to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. See, we are in God's image. But Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that, that we err on the side of thinking ourselves merely dust or only glory, only one of those two things, because, he says, the God of this world has blinded our minds to keep us from seeing the light of of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, Christ took our dust upon himself so that you and I could see God's image in the flesh and become like him. Christ took our dust so that we could see God's image in the flesh and so that you and I could grow up to become like him. Do you realize what that means? It means, first of all, that your glory is not your own. Whatever glory you possess, whatever success you have, is not inherent to who you are. It's not a result of your choices, your successes, on our best day will never not be made of dust. Whatever glory we enjoy is only participatory. Whatever glory we have is borrowed glory. Glory that originates not with us, but with the eternal Son of God who became flesh, took on our humanity so that he could make us one with himself in his glorious divinity. First of all, our glory is not our own, but, but secondly, the glory that we do have is real. It, it, it's real. So, so when you feel good after a job well done, when you feel that sense of elevation that comes from a joyous night with your friends, when you look on amazement at your child, amazed that they came from you, all of those experiences are real. They don't have a reality of their own, but they participate by God's grace in the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Third, I want us to remember that being created is a good thing. Being created is a good thing. You're not self-made. 
No, you're God made. And we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's, it's an amazing thing that God had intention and design, that he had purpose when he put us together. The goal that God had in mind for you was to perfect you in the image of his son. And lastly, I think the, the, the meaning of this for us is that we should err on the side of seeing our dust and our neighbor's glory. We should err on the side of seeing our dust and our neighbor's glory. Of course, we like to do the opposite, don't we? See, we, we think that life would be better if, if they would change. It's their problem. But the whole goal of the Christian life, of following in the way of Christ, is not to change other people. No, it's for us to be changed by the power of the Spirit into the image of God, Christ, who is the image of God. We should remember. We should remember that we are dust. That, that attempts at perfection in this life will always fall woefully short. We should remember our dust, but our neighbor's glory. As C.S. Lewis so beautifully puts it, it may be possible for us, for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all the friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We know, we know that not everyone in our lives will put their trust in Christ. And that means we may not ever see everyone around us in Christ. But the astonishing thing, that Christ took our dust 
to be God's image for us. The astonishing thing is that while we may not see everyone around us in Christ, we can see Christ in everyone around us. We can see Christ in everyone because we are all of us, no matter our shape, size, culture, color, preferences, politics, or desires. We are all of us made in Christ's image. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for making us. Thank you for taking the time to scoop us from the dirt, to form us in your image, to breathe your life into us. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to take on our flesh, that he might be the image of, Christ, of God for us to see, that we might see him and become like him as we gaze upon him. Father God, we pray that you would instill this truth deep in our hearts. Humble us because we are dust. And lift us up by your grace because you have destined us for glory by faith in the Lord Jesus. And may we remember in humility that we're dust. And may we remember in love that our neighbors have been made in the glorious image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.